This message entitled Promises to Keep Only Foundation was delivered to Christ Our Rock Bible Church on February 4th, 2024 by the Reverend Roy D. Warren Jr. The scripture reference is Matthew 7, 21 to 29. This is a story I have uh, mentioned before, uh, but it bears repeating. The, the story goes that the, there was ice everywhere that evening, and the pastor wondered if the young couple would show up at his office for some premarital counseling that had been planned. Counseling that's done before a wedding actually takes place. Uh, Fifteen minutes later, they did arrive late, huffing and puffing from their travels on the ice. Pastor said the man, we almost didn't make it. For every step forward we took, we slipped back two. And of course, the pastor decided to challenge this in a comical sort of way. You know, to say, well, now wait a minute. If you if you went ahead one step and went back two, you know, you wouldn't get here at all. And and uh, the uh, if if in fact he said this, he said if you slid back two steps for every forward step, you wouldn't have made it here even tonight. We almost didn't make it, the woman said, but we decided to turn around and go back home. I know it's a repeat, but it's pretty good. <laughs> Here's another aspect, okay? Different, uh, uh, different setting. Panting and perspiring, the two women on a tandem bicycle finally made it to the top of the large hill. That was some climb, said the first, and the other one replied, it sure was. If I hadn't kept the brake on, we'd probably have slid all the way down the hill. We got a couple of bicyclers in the group here, so I, I had to share that one. <laughs> All right, progress. Progress. That's really what we're taking a look at when we're thinking about the season of Epiphany, as, we, as we're trying to make everything very obvious about who this Jesus is and was. And like I said before, don't forget, even though you already know, I don't care about that. That doesn't matter. We need to dig into it and dig into it and dig into it. Amen? Like you never knew it in order to know it. I think we're always called to go deeper in any of these things. We can't just sit back, oh, I already know that. I guess I'll just zone out. Um, no. Mm -mm. We all have promises to keep, okay? We all have promises to keep. Moving ahead to see just exactly who Jesus is, that will be part of what it takes to keep a promise, okay? A promise not only to God, but a promise to others and a promise to ourselves. If you're there at chapter 7, let me take you back a little ways. Go back to chapter 5 and just kind of hold your place there. And uh, let's just take a look at this. Now, we all know the Beatitudes are the first 12 verses of chapter 5, okay? The Beatitudes. And these are all worthy of looking at in a deeper way and so forth. But there's a lot of stories about Jesus and things he taught and things he preached and things he did, miracles he performed, etc., that we can't cover, okay? 
There, there's, there isn't the time between now and Easter to take a look at everything that's in here. Okay? So you and I need to do that on our own. I want to encourage you, yet today, maybe this afternoon, okay, or this evening, go ahead and read through this part. Now, where'd we leave off before? Where Jesus heals the sick. That's that nutshell. That's the ministry of Jesus in a nutshell, that 23, 24, and 25. That's the end of chapter 4. Now we head into chapter 5. So it's not really skipping anything because you go ahead and read through this your own, yourself, your own, on your own, okay? Now, but let me just show you how much is here. Beatitudes, first 12 verses. Then Jesus teaches on salt and light. Then he teaches on higher righteousness. Then he teaches on, beginning with verse 21, this is all red letter. This is all Jesus. There's no commentary here, okay? Anger and reconciliation. After that, it's adultery. After that, it's divorce. Then in verse 33, he picks up talking about oaths and retaliation. He talks about love for your enemies in verse 43 and following. Then he comes to chapter 6 and he's not even done yet. You'd think he'd be done, but he's not done yet. No. Giving to the needy. Then there's a section on prayer. And then verse 16, there's a section on fasting. There's a lot here. In fact, you could just go ahead and do that and not do anything else. But I want to take you through the whole ministry of Jesus. And that's what we'll do. Okay, the whole ministry of Jesus. And see how he made himself obvious in each of those times. There will be some teaching. There will be some uh, miracles and so forth. So, but I'm giving you to do this on your own. Then starting in verse 19, there's treasures in heaven. And then in verse 25, there's about not worrying. And then chapter 7 begins with not judging and hypocrisy and so forth. That's always been one that kind of, I won't say ruffles my feathers, but really gets me. People are all the time quoting 7 verse 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. And what they're usually saying that about is anytime you tell somebody they're wrong, anytime you tell somebody they ought to do this instead of that, anytime you even preach to them about anything, judge not lest ye be judged. I had that happen at Slate Lake so many times it would make your head spin. Judge not. You're not allowed to say, the Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. This is talking about judging people to eternity. This is talking about pointing the finger at people and say, you're going to heaven and you're going to hell and you're going to heaven and so forth. This is not recognizing that there's problems or recognizing that, that you know, people need to change. That's what preaching is all about. That's what teaching is all about. You know, I'll never forget the one time as one fellow, you know, came up to me and said, you know, made a major point out of this. So I preached on it the following week on what this judging was. I'm not sure he spoke up like that again after that. I mean, come on. You got to be honest about it. And he was trying to nail me and I was 
simply making it clear what the Bible says about, I don't even remember what it was, but about this subject or that subject, judge not, lest ye be, lest, uh, lest ye be not judged, or that ye be not judged. So I preached on it the following week, and he knew it. Better believe he knew it. Uh, and I don't do that often, but I was fed up with it, to tell you the truth. I was fed up with it. Will you get, get it right? Okay? Will you, will you just see you can't just use any verse you want for your little proof text? You know? You can't. I mentioned that last week, and it's the same thing even here. But I, it just sets me off when I see this judge not. This is talking about literally sending them off to either heaven or hell or, you know, to some other aspect of life or whatever it might be. That, that's, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what, you know, I'm giving you scripture, I'm giving you Bible, I'm giving you what God wants us to do. You know, what does God say about that? Right away, as soon as anybody says anything at all, you know, judge not. That's illegal, by the way. You're not allowed to do that. Because what we're talking about when we're studying the Bible or preaching the Bible or whatever is here's what God says and here's where we can change. Or we can just talk about what God says and you can figure out for yourself how you ought to change. <laughs> but some people, you know, judge not! Well, they're the ones that are judging. They're the ones that are wrong. Okay? So I preached on it the following week, and I made that clear. And by the way, that was it. I mean, out the door. You got to stand up for what is true. And this is not what God is talking about when he's talking about judging. Anyway... Okay, um, yeah, well, anyway, the first part of the chapter is about judging and hypocrisy. Okay, and then there's prayer and the golden rule. Then there's the straight and the wide gates. It just goes on and on. He's got a lot of stuff in here. Then there's the test of the false prophets. And then comes what we're looking at today. So it's kind of like the tail end of, of, this, uh, of this sermon. It's all red letter, no switch in anything until verse 28. And there's black letters. So this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You read the rest of it, okay, this week. And uh, in a sense, get caught up. Okay? All right. All right. Let's see here. We, uh, we know how God loves us even so much that he sent his son. That has been clear throughout the scripture. But what are we saved for? Okay? What are we saved for? Are you there at Matthew 7? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's, how many verses do we want to do? How about just the first three? Okay? To, to start it off. To start it off. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Remember what the kingdom is. The kingdom is God's rule and God's reign over your heart, over, and not just your heart, 
over your life. Because a lot of people can say they have something in their heart and then live a different way. All right? Shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Praise God. All right? So it's not just, you know, that I know Jesus or Lord, Lord, or, you know, whatever. There's, there's a living it. There's a doing it as well. Um, many will say to me in that day, Jesus said, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name? And is, or in thy name, have cast out devils? And in thy name, done many wonderful works? Have we not done this? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The word iniquity is oftentimes used to replace the word sin, um, but here's what it actually means. Um, there's there's an uh, illeg, how should I say it, illegal aspect to this, this iniquity, it's illegal, okay? It's in violation of the law. And Jesus said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So go away you who insist on being illegal in your relationships, okay? You're in violation of the law. Pretty serious stuff. Uh, um, wonder how many people have popped up and said, judge not, Jesus. You know, who do you think you are, Jesus? See, but that, okay, we're not gonna go back over it, but that's not what the, the, the judging is talking about. Anyway, Anyway, Jesus emphatically taught that carrying out the will of his heavenly Father was a condition of entering the kingdom of heaven. Now be careful with this, because it does not mean that we can gain or merit salvation by our own efforts or our works alone. It's not saying that. We're talking about obedience to God's heart. Okay, this, this is true for the following reasons. The forgiveness of God comes to us through faith and repentance made possible by what? The grace and the sacrificial death of Christ. The obedience to the will of God demanded by Christ is indeed an ongoing condition for salvation. But Christ also declares that it is a grace. It's a grace belonging to the salvation of the kingdom. As such, we must continually pray for it, receive it, and put it into effect by a sincere faith and an earnest endeavor. And then it mentions, the, uh, you know, back here in the uh, earlier part of, this, of uh, what we were looking at here about the Lord's Prayer. You know, and doing what God says and, and confessing our sin and repenting of our sin and, and uh, um, you know, forgive us our trespasses for we have, you know, etc. And the many admonitions directed toward believers to put sin to death and to present ourselves to God as living sacrifices. 
Back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So just an elaboration of that. We are capable of doing God's will and living a righteous life by virtue of this gift, talking about his grace. That grace makes it possible for us to live for God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why the Holy Spirit needs to live inside of us. Okay? Because the Holy Spirit then makes it possible for us to live for God. Instead of trying to do it in our own strength. We're not talking about doing stuff in our own strength. We're, we're talking about being open to letting the Holy Spirit work it through in us. We are capable of doing God's will and living a righteous life because of grace, because of his spiritual power, and because of his spiritual life that he continually gives us through Christ and the Holy Spirit. Scripture declares that by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God for we are his workmanship. In other words, you can't just stand back and say it's all by grace, so I live for the world, or I live like the world, or I just do what I want to do when I want to do it. You know? No. It's not what it says. By grace. There's an acronym that uh, is boiled down to this. Uh, it and, and it's not something that you'll find directly in the Bible, like G-R-A-C-E means this. No, but it's the same thing. Grace, okay? God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches because Jesus paid for it. Amen? So you don't get to just do anything you want to do or how you feel about this or that or, or what you're going through or whatever. You, you, are, you are empowered by God's riches. Okay? Praise God. Save through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. All right? God always makes available the obedience he demands of us. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of that. I think that's an important statement. Okay, think about it. He always makes available the obedience he demands of us. In other words, he never calls you to do anything or expects you to be about something, whether you feel like it or whether you act like it or not. It doesn't matter. He gives it. That means you do it. Do you hear me? He will give the strength. He will give the rest. He will give the power. He will give the ability, that's why we're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that makes it possible for us to live for God. If you're busy trying to do it in your own strength, guess what? You're not gonna. You're not gonna. You're gonna be too tired. You're not gonna. It is ascribed to God's redemptive action for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yet God's gift of grace does not annul human responsibility or action. In other words, he doesn't just get rid of it. Because people, okay, I live by grace. I said this a couple weeks ago. You know, there's people running around now. with just, you know, we live by grace. In other words, we don't have to be obedient. We don't have to do what God says. We don't have to... 
If, we, if God wasn't expecting us to do what he says, why did he say it? Amen? Yet God's gift of grace uh, is all wrapped up in the, is this human responsibility. It's because he gives the grace that we can then do it, we can then be obedient. We must respond positively to God's gift of obedience. See, I think that's an important statement earlier on, or just a few minutes ago. Thus, God always makes it available, the obedience he demands of us. He's not expecting you to be obedient if he doesn't give it. Do you hear me? He gives the obedience. You just got to do it. You just got to get up and get moving. You just got to, etc. I mean, okay, if you're going to be right with God, you don't care about being right for, with God, then go ahead and do what you want, whenever you want. But don't think you're going to be right with God. Do you hear me? Amen? All right. We remain free. I said this all the time through Slatelik. It's part of why we're here. We remain free to reject God's grace. You want to you walk away from it? You walk away from it, but you won't be right. To refuse to draw near to God through Christ and to refuse to pray for and accept the life of obedience, you just won't be right. You can do it, because why? Like I said last week, because everybody has free will. All right? There's a woman in uh, one of the Bible studies, the nursing homes, that brought this up. It was her first time in Bible study. And, and she said, why does God just let this go? Why did... I said, he's not just letting it go. <laughs> he's judging it. Every time anything goes on, there's a judgment on it. All right. Now God's going to wrap this all up in his own timing. So he's, in, he's the one in control. We'd like to see him, you know, get after this one or get after that one or stop this one from doing this bad thing or, you know, or whatever. But, you know, God, God's not going to let him get by with it. And I, and I tried to explain that and I used the same thing I told you, uh, you know, about uh, free will. You know, you are allowed to go either way with it. You can go this way, you can go that way. You use your free will against God, you'll pay for it. You use your free will for God, and you won't have to pay for it, because that was already paid for at the cross. God gave it. All right? Okay. Okay. This is how we make progress not one step forward and two steps back. Admit it. Isn't that the way it feels sometimes? Maybe you feel two steps forward and one step back. At least there would be a moving forward. But he doesn't even want you to go backwards, period. Okay? So stay off the ice. Amen? And stay off the brake. You see, lack of obedience is sin. And the King James calls it iniquity, as I said. You can choose to not do it God's way, but you won't be right. You, notice, you, you understand what I'm saying? You can do it if you want. Go ahead, if you want. But don't think you're going to be okay. 
That's real clear, I hope. This backwards thinking is messing up a lot of people nowadays. They think they're right, but they're not. Tozer, here we go. Got the phone with me. Wasn't in my back pocket. All right, here it comes. <clears throat> Coming up. You always have to press 10, 15 buttons before you get anywhere. Okay, here we go. Okay. A.W. Tozer once wrote, there is a new church today, a brand new Christianity that is running rampant. The new church is seeking assurance by adding up her virtues. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this. You can do all those things without the heart of God if you want to. But basically, a lot, a lot of times what's being said is, I do this, I do this, and I do this. I'm adding up the virtues. Look at me, she says, with an arrogant spirit. Never in our country have we seen bigger church buildings or larger congregations. Never has there been more social activity than there is today. For the most part, we take courage from numbers. If there are many, we must be doing something right. That must be a good church. Just look at all the people going there is, is the reasoning that one hears today. I added this to the, to the quote. That was the quote. Here's what I added. Join us as we delve into Matthew 7, verses 21 to 29, to be very sure of the foundation on which we are building. And you see, that's really the point. What are we building on? Very important. Okay? Very important. And that, you see what's happening, though. They're making up their own rules. A lot of people are. Look at yourself. You can't always say, they are, they are, they are. You know, where are we? Where am I? Where do we make up our own rules? And by them, we are judging progress, either our own or somebody else's lack of. Okay? Jesus saw, now, okay, maybe this makes a good point. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. So if you want to call that judging, you can call it judging, I suppose, but that's not what this is talking about. Now, Tozer, that's what he's talking about. He's saying make sure that you're still making it clear what God expects. See, it's God's expectation. And if you don't want it, you don't have to have it, but you also don't have to be right with God. All right, I think that ought to be real clear by now. Jesus saw this coming, and he warned of it. Be very careful of your church's foundation. The Bible says there is one foundation. The hymn says the church's one foundation is Jesus, not are, is Jesus Christ. Amen? A lot of people nowadays think there are many foundations. You can build your church on any old thing. And I don't mean whether it's on gravel or, you know, <laughs> the literal foundation. I'm talking about spiritually, okay? Let's see what Jesus says about it. After all, 
He is the church's one foundation. So we come to the second half of our text. Verse 24. Okay? Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. Now remember, he's at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's, always, he's already made it very clear what he says about many, many aspects of life. And you'll see all that very clearly when you take the time today and this week to read through that and uh, pray about it. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, he's talking about all of them, and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And I just want to, I just want to be in agreement, of course, with what Jim was saying about it's not human wisdom we're talking about. It's God's wisdom. Amen? Because a lot of people can get pretty wise. Well, I think we ought to do this, and I think we ought to do that. And, and yet it's not what God says at all. So it's not, it's not a matter of thinking you're wise. It's a matter of using or bringing into your mind and your heart and your thinking the wisdom of God. Well, liken him to a wise man, and that's what it's talking about, by the way. Um, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. It didn't go down. It had everything working against it. It had all kinds of weather stuff going on. You got your rain, you got your floods, you got your winds, and they're all beating on the house. And it didn't fall down. Why? Because it was founded, it was planted on a rock. By the way, the word fell in the Greek means to fail. You know? We gotta, we gotta see this physical picture, that's true. But we've got to see more clearly the spiritual picture that's being talked about, okay? The, there's a failing here of this house. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, here's the other side of the coin, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in a good-sized lake, maybe it doesn't even have to be all that good-sized, but I remember just walking around on the sh shore and shallower waters and so forth of Lake Huron, and you try standing there. Uh, I remember when we were in New York and New Jersey, and we went to the beach and stand there in the ocean. And, um, of course, you've got to keep your eyes open for the uh, jellyfish and things like that. But, <laughs> uh, you know, you try to stand there. Good luck standing there. Okay? Good luck standing there. Because what happens? The waves come through and they work away under your feet. The sand shifts. It's shifting sand. And before you know it, you're falling over. Or you're having to get your bearings again. You have to keep continually... And you can't just stand there because it's built on sand, okay? Heaped up on the beach. <laughs> That's what it means, okay? And the, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew, same stuff, 
It's not like one got it easier than the other or one got it harder than the other. They both got it, okay? And the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. See, the other one didn't fall. It didn't fail, okay? The one that was built on the rock, but the one that's built on the sand, it doesn't stand, okay? I'll, I'll try to, I'll, I'll come back to, the, well, may, let me go ahead and give you the last two verses, but it's not part of what Jesus said. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished. Another place, uh, it says that they were astonished at his doctrine and his teaching and so forth because it, it wasn't like the religious leaders. It, this was, it had more authority. You know why? Because he had more authority. We're talking God here. Okay? The people were astonished at his doctrine. Okay? They were stricken by it. Okay? For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Well, there's a version of the same thing I just told you. It says that elsewhere, though. Makes it clear. They were, they were, boy, he's, it's more authoritative than what we hear from the religious leaders. Why? Because the religious leaders were not giving you the truth. The religious leaders were making it mean what they wanted to mean. The religious leaders were turning, turning it around and turning it upside down and doing other things with it and trying to get after people and, you know, trying to, proof texting people, you know. <laughs> you know. Um, that's what was going on. One house stands firm and the other is flattened. There's wise and there's foolish. And what's the foolish built on? Sand. You wouldn't think about build, building a house on sand. I think, I, would I mention, did I mention this Friday night or was I just sharing it with somebody else? I can't remember. There's a lot of turmoil going on. You know, as the, there's land falling away from these big fancy houses, nice houses, you know. Well, you know why? Because that was all fill. They put that in there so that they had more room to sell. So they could put those houses on there and have good-sized yards and so forth. Well, guess what? It, it's falling away. I mean, I'm not hoping for the houses to fall. I, I hope they can figure out something. I haven't heard anything lately, but it doesn't look good. I mean, we're right up to the kids' trampoline. You know, I mean, it's right there, five, six feet away. They've been ordered out. I don't know if everybody got out or not. Foolish. Foolish. But the wise one built it on the rock. And of course, the rock is Jesus. Paul said he's that spiritual rock. Praise God. Amen. He's that spiritual rock. One is moving forward into the future and the other has the brakes on and is really at a standstill and perhaps doesn't even know it. Can't just make it mean what you want it to mean. It means what God says. Amen? Really it does. 
It is, there's one foundation that gets to set the ground rules, and that's Jesus himself. Hey, he, he's, he's the rock. He's the one that says it's going to stand. He's also the one to say that one's not going to stand. And I'm not gloating over houses about to fall. I'm not talking about, I hope they don't. I hope they figure a way to buttress that thing up or something, but at least learn something from it. Amen? You know, here it is. Robert Frost, he wrote, he wrote this. He said, the woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Robert Frost spoke those words at a university. Following his address, a young man came up to him and asked him, what did you mean, Mr. Frost, by promises to keep? And Frost said, I believe we have promises to keep to those who've gone before us, to our ancestors. And we have promises to keep to our contemporaries, that is, those that are living with us right now, today. Finally, he said, we have promises to keep to those unborn generations, they're not even here yet, okay, who will follow after us. And then this poet, he added this, he said, I have promises to keep to myself and I have promises to keep to God. I think when Frost came up with this answer, for this fella, he pretty much came up with everything that applies to applies to every one of us. There is one on this planet who does not have to keep promises. Or I'm sorry, there is no one. <laughs> I knew that wasn't going in the right direction. <laughs> All right, yeah, there's no one on this planet who does not have promises to keep. For the heritage that is ours and for the privileges we possess, we have promises to keep to our ancestors. They're the ones that blazed forward, some right, some wrong. You know, we're not here to try to figure out who's exactly. Like I said, judge not. That's what Jesus is talking about. Don't go sending those off to heaven and those off to hell. Okay? We have commitments to keep and a sense of responsibility to our immediate families, friends, and associates. And we have promises to keep to our future generations too. They're not even here yet. Whose lives will be shaped by the actions we take, by the words we speak, and by the deeds we do. We have promises to keep. So, how do we make certain that we will keep these promises. He's the only one. A lot of other people would try to steer you off in some other direction. You don't have time for that. You gotta, you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. How many times have you ever heard that? Not from God you didn't. <laughs> All right? How do we make certain that we will keep these promises? We determine to live in obedience to God. Then God gives the obedience and then you live in it. See, don't start with yourself. It's God. Amen? It's God. 
And then we determine to live in what he gives. And then following his commands, he seeks, he calls us into a place where we will end up seeking his will in all that we do. We determine to live in obedience to God, claiming his promises, following his commands, seeking his will in all that we do. God keeps all of his promises. You can count on that. Amen. Count on that. But he does it by placing our lives under his authority. And through the power of the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to do it. For us to live for God. He not only will be the one and only foundation. He is the one and only period. Amen. Dear Lord, I, I want to thank you, dear God, for this truth that is before us. It, it comes right at the conclusion of this Sermon on the Mount when you gave so many people so much, dear God, so much detail about what this means and what that means and, 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 and how to see life this way and that way and so forth. Then you come right down to it. Why? Are we even saved? It isn't just to think we're all right with God. It's a matter of being obedient to God and letting that keep us moving forward and not backwards. Praise the Lord. It's a matter of building on the right foundation. It's a matter of standing firm through the, as they say, the, I think it was Shakespeare that said about the slings and arrows or something like this. We gotta stand firm. We gotta just believe God and let God have his way. Glory be to God. Don't worry about it when you run into people that think this or think that or have other ideas or whatever. I mean, you don't have to worry about it. But it is time to tell people the truth. It is time to tell people the truth. And uh, that's what the church is to be doing and that's what, that's what we need to do even right now. Tell people. Give them Jesus. Not because they need him, but because they need to love him. And there's a difference in those two things. And I pray, dear God, that we would always move forward because we love Jesus. Not because we have to do this or do that. And I thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your grace, and all your love. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.